Uh, but again, just go for it. Yeah, I actually just started it, so. <laughs> Oh, wait, so uh, do we do our little, do we do our little intro dance? Yeah, yeah, so, so, you, do you want to start? Oh, oh, okay, I will start, I'll be like, hello, I'm Oozing Glue. And I am Olympia Bukakis. Oh my gosh, um. Thank you for, and this is our. And this is our viral podcast. Slurry! <laughs> oh my god, with all the coherency of an entire... I'm not going to say that because it's really far too politically incorrect for something uh, uh, being recorded. You know, this is. I keep thinking about this, this term politically correct, right? Because it's like, it's something that the right uses um, mm. like, to, like to apply to, to anything where like, where, uh, like um, to... They call whenever like they engage in violent speech, and then uh, people on the left say that's bad, that's violence. Then like that's politically correct. And but when left wing when yeah. when left wing people uh, say that, then um, it's like politically incorrect. Is like our conscious conscious conscience. It's yeah. Like, yeah, there's like, oh, that wasn't politically correct. But it's a strange conscience to have, right? It's also very funny because as well, like the left is fundamentally premised on the fact that the political situation that we have right now is completely morally bankrupt and wrong and we need to uh, overturn government and uh, like establish like a new system basically as well. So I think that it's, yeah, it's also, so. I mean, so that is also really stupid as well. So it's like, on one hand, I mean, you can see this with the with the discussion of like, like Antifa becoming this like a complete boogeyman and stuff like how the left are these violent terrorists, but they're also worried about being politically correct at the same time. Yeah. Like the immigrant who uh, is lazy and steals your job. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's super yeah. interesting. Um, although, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. Um, it's so nice to be doing this with you again, Oozing Gloop. Uh, <laughs> Redoing this with you. Uh, it's for those of you who are listening at home. Actually, Oozing Gloop and I are both at home, but we are both at our own homes. We're doing this, uh, we're recording this via Skype. Um, and uh, I think I'm going to try and get this out on Monday. So um, we're like, we're like back, baby. We're, yeah, we're back, baby. We're, we're, we're bringing podcasts. We're bringing our podcasts back. And yeah. No, we're bringing podcasts in general back because I have a feeling that all podcasts have recently stopped just because ours stopped and ours is the <laughs> most successful podcast. Like, because <laughs> other podcasts have like one or two listeners, whereas we regularly have like 16. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think the fact that we release it just as and when we sort of vaguely, uh, you know, look in the general direction of each other and uh, and also just forget to do that as well. I think that keeps our, our, our viewers, our listeners rather, uh, excited. Yeah. You know, they, they're just waiting to pounce on the next episode. Yeah, they're titillated. Titillated. Like a shiny Pokemon card. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> I, I actually never got into Pokemon cards because I found like all of the, like the trading really anxiety inducing because I was worried that I would... Um, exploit someone else or be exploited myself and I guess actually Pokemon cards is how I how I realized what it's like to be an artist and ha- yeah <laughs> like, 
it's like it's just like oh shit I'm going to be exploited or I'm going to accidentally exploit someone else and it's just going to be I think maybe not everyone's as anxious as I am I think it's just definitely baby leftist leanings just like you know and then it was just like oh wait it's just that we actually have a system that generally does this and this this trading system is endemic of that very interesting actually is that there's this this myth in um uh uh economics that like um that you know oh we were like uh stone age people or whatever and then we we went into a trade and barter society and then from there we developed money to make things so you didn't have to carry your chickens around with you um and uh but this basically uh eventually someone actually did some research into this and it turns out it's a complete lie um how so uh basically that um prior to the the idea of trade and barter that like 16 chickens makes one cow uh itself is an idea that comes from money like this idea that you can put everything into a numerical form of exchange is an idea that comes from money and the the far more in society that there were there were lots of other different systems that were in place like to do with family or community or these things and to do with various like emotional and motive things and it wasn't this completely abstracted thing hmm. so it's like in that sense the way that we do consider trade is a microeconomic like a micro a microcosm of capital accumulation and you were right to be deterred from it at an early age <laughs> That sounds really interesting. Who was it that you were reading? Do you remember? Because that sounds like it goes against like the classical Marxist like uh, like um, description of like the development of economics and all of this. Yeah, because he was sort of responding to like the general the general thing. But it's the vibe, the nineteenth century vibe. Vibe, the vibe, the vibe. But I mean, to a certain extent, because like the classic Marxist economic thing. I mean, like um, was sort of the idea of like uh, that there was sort of primal communism. Yeah, and primitive then, communism, yeah. Primitive communism, yeah. And there's this idea that we went from primitive communism to a trade and barter system to, like, a money system. And it's, mm-hmm. like, actually what happened is we went from primitive communism to, like, various forms of civilization. And then actually for that, money first emerged from temple, this will interest you, from um, temple bureaucracies in Mesopotamia. Yeah. Yep, yeah, you know, I know, I know. <laughs> I know, I know. I've got the yeah. Mesopotamian being a 5,000-year-old yeah. goddess. Yeah, yeah, so it's in a book called... Uh, De- it's from an author who wrote a book called Debt, The First 5,000 Years. Cool. It's, who yeah, is that? It's really cool. I don't know, but I've got the PDF somewhere on my computer that my tutor sent to me, so we can find it and send it to you as cool. well. I'll, I'll, Debt, look- First 5,000 Years. I'm looking it up now so that we can tell our um, dear listeners, because I also want to read it. The first... up. Oh. yep. Okay. Oh, Olivia, isn't it nice that we're catching up? Yeah, it's so nice. It's by David Graeber. Graeber. Um, yeah, published in 2011. So there you go, listeners. So actually, what you said, Gloop, uh, that brings us actually... We are going to have topics. We're going to have themes. <laughs> we're going to have topics. We're going to have... We are going to have organization. We're going to have structure. We're going to be successful podcasters. Um, and... Um, a big part of that is that we're going to have a topic every, every, well, we haven't worked out how often we're going to be doing this, <laughs> but, uh, but like every time, let's say, every and, time. and the topic this time is catching up, catching up, as, yeah. catching, as, up. As catching something you've got to go to a certain, a certain praxis Kreuzberg about to get your, 
Yeah, well, there's actually there's so many things that you can catch that could make you have to go to Praxis Kreuzberg. But Praxis Kreuzberg, if you are listening, is a really, really good queer-friendly um, uh, like doctor's clinic uh, where uh, it's like it's they're just they're just so lovely. So that we just send out like a... they're completely amazing. Olympia told uh, Olympia first went to was the first one to go to Praxis Kreuzberg and then told me about it. And then I only went there and I had this image that the German health system was this amazing kind humane efficient wonderful organization that was gonna and then it turns out that that's just this one doctor oh yeah it's like this archaic xenophobic torture chamber but praxis kreuzberg is amazing i think in general the the way that it works if you're an outsider in here that like uh, like in Germany is that you find the good doctors and when you find them, they're really, really nice, but you have to work based on recommendations because if you just go to some random, like it's very, very possible that they will be, have like a very, very old fashioned um, and very often xenophobic uh, bedside manner, which can feel like abuse. Like mm-hmm. it's like when I've recovered from uh, like uh, my exposures to um, uh, this healthcare system, very often it feels like recovering from abuse. It's awful. Yeah, but Praxis Kreuzberg, not abusive. In fact, really nice. <laughs> yeah, really nice. Wait, I told you that the hospital got my x-rays upside down, right? <laughs> no. How, how, so, how did they get your x-rays upside down? Oh, my God. So, basically, I would, I would only go to Praxis Kreuzberg on the recommendation of, uh, of a certain Bukakis. And, um, and then... Uh, I yeah <laughs> and then broke both my arms over the summer uh and it turns out the doctor uh it was slightly beyond their capacity so they sent me to the hospital and um yeah the hospital looked at my x-rays and they told me that my arms were broken and they touched me on both my arms above my elbows like the doctor like they physically touched me so i very i remember it very distinctly like above my elbows Anyway, I ended up going to uh, to the orthopedist that Olympia recommended to me. So thank you. I double dropped on that one. And um, who then re-X-rayed me and then showed me the X-rays and then showed me that the that it was below my elbow. And I was like, yeah. And then they printed out the X-rays and then I tried showing someone else and I got the X-rays upside down. And then I realized <laughs> that's what the hospital had done. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, they got the X-ray upside down. Oh my god! <laughs> it was really intense. That's outrageous. Oh, completely. <laughs> and I remember because they t- I do make a habit of remembering things doctors tell me because I'm, you know, probably going to have to tell another doctor, and I'm, I don't know anything about medicine. That's like a very. I think that's a very clever and like, um, like like full of foresight decision to make is to remember the things that doctors tell you. <laughs> I, like, I, I support you in that decision. <laughs> I'll endeavor to do the same myself. <laughs> oh my gosh, so that is, yeah, that's definitely, that's my, that's my top tip for uh, negotiating any sort of health system. Remember things doctors have told you. Yeah. Because I mean, let's face it, there's a lot of things that we forget. Um, like, uh, yeah, so anyway, so also, so how have you been doing recently? Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I've been okay. No, I've very often not been okay, actually. I think this is the first time that I will have spoken publicly about it. Um, but I, um, sorry? Or have I put you on the spot? <laughs> 
No, 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 no. Like I, I, I thought that I, I that I would, because uh, I recently had a premiere at Sofia and Zeller. Uh, it was called A Touch of the Other, and uh, that was a piece that I made. Uh, I did interviews with cis women in my family to ask them about uh, resilience and trauma and work. Um, and then from those interviews, I made a piece. And just as I started to work on it, because I guess a lot of people, I, like, because a lot of people would know uh, who are listening to this, I was attacked uh, on the street, uh, like a random transphobic, homophobic attack on Easter Sunday. So I think it was the 12th of April. Well, I know it was the 12th of April. I'm actually filling out some like opera and Schiedigung like thing to like get compensation from the government at the moment. But, <laughs> <laughs> on Easter Sunday of all things, Jesus himself came to just bash you. Yeah, yeah. He was like, it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Or like, at, <laughs> what what would be the female version of that? Ad, 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 Adri, Adriana and S- Stephanie. No, it's Eve as well. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, <Okay. and> Eve. <laughs> no, no, I think you'll find this. Yeah, no, like, I think no, you'll find no, it. I Adriana yeah, and Ada, Stephanie. Ada, Ada and Eve. Oh, Ada and Eve, yeah, that, I guess that makes more sense. But yeah, so um, after Jesus came down from, from the <laughs> yeah. heavens and like broke my jaw, um, uh, I had to go to hospital, which is uh, like. Uh, which was like deeply unpleasant. I had we to be established put... fact quite how unpleasant it is. Yeah, uh, and almost was... like we were foreshadowing. Look at that amazing structure. <laughs> Loving the dramaturgy of this convo. Um, <laughs> and I, um, I had to go to hospital and have surgery because my jaw was broken. It didn't appear to be joking. Uh, uh, joking, broken. It's a, I ain't joking, but yeah. your jaw is broken. Is that how the doctor came in? No, that's, Juggling. What, that's what Jesus said as he bashed me. <laughs> Fuck. Um, it's a but, piece of a palm tree. Yeah, exactly. Um, and um, so I had to have surgery. Uh, it was really, really awful. Um, but after the surgery, uh, the it didn't feel as bad. So it felt like the trauma had like of the attack had been had a pause on it or something and mm. then um over the summer at a certain point in the summer uh, i got a letter from saying that the, from the police saying that the the, the case was closed um because they couldn't find the guy and i was relieved because i didn't actually i don't believe in the criminal justice system and i knew that it would be re-traumatizing to go through it um mm. and i knew that like i don't know i don't know what this guy could get for what he did but like maybe he would go to jail um, and that's not going to make him better. So it's just like the whole situation is just crap. Um, yeah, if anything, it's going to be a networking opportunity. For him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can make sure he brings his cards. Um, yeah. um, so I was like, I was happy that like the legal system wasn't going to send some like Jesus to jail. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, I started to have. Uh, like really intense visions of being attacked, uh, like on that day. On that day, and oh my god, you you will love this. Well, it depends. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I am uh, a bit of a twisted individual. It has to be said. Well, because it like it happened to me, and also my friend that was involved in the attack. Oh, actually, that we would get frightened and startled very easily when we were on the street. Mm-hmm. And uh, what would happen to me is I would have really vivid visions of uh, of being attacked. Um, by people that passed me on the street but then they started to, on that day started to get more and more vivid and then they started to involve medieval weapons 
What? <laughs> I do love this. Oh my god. Yes. Oh my god. Oh my god. So I had a um, I have very intense lucid dreams very often, and I would frequently there was a period of my life where I was very stressed and not very happy, and I would I would wake up each morning because at a certain point someone would stab me. Yeah. In the dream, I would very physically feel it, like as and this. I'd wake up like, oh, and then I'd be like, oh, let me just go make my coffee. Like it was really intense. So yeah. I, Often with like a kitchen knife, but yeah, but your medieval weapons, did yeah. you feel them? Like, like what mm. was happening? Yeah, so, it. so it turns out my therapist told me that these are flashbacks, but they're not flashbacks to a memory. It's my, uh, I think it's my limbic brain. Um, like some like older limbic. limbic. It's like a, it's like the mammalian or the reptile brain or something. It's like an earlier developed part of the brain that doesn't perceive time in the same way that our conscious brains do. And so um, <laughs> the flashback is when the, a part of your brain literally thinks that that the attack is happening again. And so, mm. but it would combine with a more maybe inventive or creative part of my brain to be a really strong vision of people in the present attacking me. Um, and, and then on this day, when this, like these like trauma symptoms kind of opened back up just from receiving the letter, which I didn't realize until later, um, mm. this guy w walked past me and I imagined, I, imagined, I saw uh, and felt uh, him attacking me with a sword and the sword I felt the point of the sword in my chest but then it continued it's sometimes it's like battle axes yeah like and the occasional halberd yeah yeah it's like it's, it's so weird um and then I've had like a whole bunch of other symptoms uh sort of uh, come out and so sometimes that's like really like I think it's good I, I feel actually like I want to talk about it because I wasn't expecting this and I think it's good for other people to know because I think we've talked about this male violence um, always involves a very like not always but very often involves a very short like interaction and then the person who suffers the male violence has very very long consequences that like and so like uh, with this like this guy did this. I, it's important to me to make visible all of the effects that it has had on me because I think people don't, who haven't suffered this don't necessarily know all of the fucking administration and like work that's involved in recovering from male violence. Mm. Yeah, this is exactly like when someone like fucking was fucking me in a dark room uh, at cocktail and then took the condom off halfway through without yeah. telling me and then left and then I was high and then sort of could only piece the situation back together, which ironically is uh, in, a, in another uh, excellent turn of fate is why I had to ask you about Praxis Kreuzberg in the first place, because I had to go and get PEP. Remember this? I had to go get PEP, the post-exposure. And uh, it was 800 euros worth of medication. And the doctor gave it to me for free because he said no one uses this anymore because everyone's on prep. But it was a huge amount of administration and stress just for this one second. Uh, for this for this very brief aspect of penetration. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Can I so, but yeah. Well, this is this is exactly it's this, exactly the same thing that it's like like a man does something because of some uh, like because of some compulsion that he has to do it, whatever it is. Um, and the the person who suffers that violence needs to like violence and trauma takes a very very long time. To recover from depending on like the specifics uh, of it of course but so this is why I'm actually I feel comfortable talking about this um, but like other things that I have are sometimes I'm so depressed that I can't move um, mm. and so when I was making this work sometimes in the studio not not you know only one or two times but I would be okay I realized okay I'm too depressed and so I'd have to lie down on the ground and just wait for the feeling to pass 
Um, mm. And like, it, it was very strange because I was together enough to be like, okay, well, this, this will pass. I just have to wait for it to go. And I'd wait like 20 minutes and be like, okay, I think I can answer an email now. It's like super intense. But I also yeah. had agoraphobia for a while. I was scared of going outside. Um, and uh, what else? Uh, my vision has been affected. Um, uh, I like sometimes like it's quite fuzzy, even very close up. And other times it's very clear. Mm. And I'm getting this checked out next week, but uh, I've done my own research and it's a common, it's a common uh, side effect of um, like people suffering trauma. So like, I think it was like three or four months after the attack, all of these symptoms just bloomed out of nowhere. Mm. And so I don't have a proper diagnosis because I think it depends on how, how long the symptoms stay. Um, but I've been doing like a number of things to sort of ameliorate those harms, but it's very, very confusing. Oh, but we have talked about yeah. ca- Cartesian mind body, mind body dualism on this show and oh, yeah. a- a- about how this is bullshit. Um, oh, repeatedly, yeah. Yeah, and if anything could ever prove that once and for all, it's my experience of this trauma because mm-hmm. that my experience of this trauma has been that um, I'd like those who can't see me, I'm like gesticulating wildly because I'm, <laughs> I'm really excited by this idea. Um, uh, is uh, I have never had such a clear illustration of the fact that I am a thinking set of systems, um, like set of embodied systems. So like when I'm like, okay, well, I like I've, I've my vision has become very unfocused up until like 30 centimeters. Like uh, it's, it's a little bit blurry at the moment. Um, like my wall looks fuzzy. Um, and I've, I, yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah. So, and it changes, like my hand, I can see clearly. So like it's, uh, I, I'm going to get this tested next week to see actually what it is. Maybe I just need glasses, but I didn't before I was attacked. Mm-hmm. So the, the symptoms that I have, like are very clearly, like some of them, neurological symptoms. And so then when your brain st- stops operating in the way that you're used to, used to it uh, operating, then that's when I realize, okay, it's like, it's quite clear that uh, that I that I am a body, that I am just a mm. body. What are you typing? Um, a small thing to my mum on WhatsApp, just to say that I wouldn't be able to. Uh, that I have, that I can't call her before okay. five. Okay. Cool. <laughs> um, but I was just like, that's coming through on the recording, babe. Um, but no, it's coming through the recording. I of course. It was, no. <laughs> It's really far away. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's my mum. My mum is um, my mum is like this. So, but please, that you are just a body. I think you're far more than just a body. You're also someone with. No, I was going to say something mean there. You're a very adorable body. Um... <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Thank you. That's very sweet. But um, uh, yeah, like no, it's really, yeah. really interesting because it's like realizing that like certain parts of my body or my brain, like if they start functioning in different ways that also uh, like, it's not like there's some sort of abstracted spirit outside my body that will be unaffected by that. Like um, I am all of the things that happen and happen in and to my body. And I, this is Mm. like, and which I kind of like, this was something I thought before, but I know it now. Yes. I mean, there is, I have been having certain um, extra bodily experiences. I've actually been having certain extra body uh, experiences recently. Oh my uh, God, are you backing out of uh, like con- the, our con- joint condemnation of uh, mind-body dualism? 
No, it's not mind body dualism. It's um, it's uh, uh, something like that. But I will say actually as well, I've just been getting really into like fucking like of binaries, like male and female, like can fuck off. Because oh, I told you recently. But oh, is that like a new about... thing that you're doing? <laughs> no, no, you've I'm just, decided I'm, that you're you know, against the gender binary. <laughs> you know when you're like going through your wardrobe and you're like oh my god i can't believe i own this wow and it's like you've got a new thing yeah i just i just remembered and i was like oh wow there's a binary gender and then a binary class system like you know with this fucking uh of like uh, uh that we have the and that actually that you can root the essential nature of the binary gender situation into the fact that we do actually have a binary social system as well mm-hmm. so that that's why see the binary systems and situations are are inevitable um because you're like of course you know like there's an owner and there's uh you know a have and a have not an owner and then like a employee and then like this person you can perpetuate these things and then someone else who has to then go and do all the work of like recovering from this because of course like you know not only do you then not only as a member of the working class do you not have access to the means of production you then also have to work to reproduce yourself and then also you have to work to uh get anything um in uh in so many ways that then in various systems that feed back into each other um that feed back into each other and that also as well that this is happening with having to respond to male violence and trauma and stuff like that uh as well um i was over the summer um in england uh for a bit and working on Serious Fun 2, Serious Fun Seriously, which is a zine I made with an artist, Angel Rose. And for that, I wrote an article called The Lymph Nymph. The Lymph Nymph. The Lymph Nymph. So the thing is, is that there's been loads of really interesting research into, uh, into uh, accidental research into the, the lymph system. It's, it's, uh, it specifically um, relates very... One of the specific areas that it relates to... Sorry, my mum is just WhatsApping me, and I'm just like, um, mum, I... Uh, no, just I'm going to ignore it. No, you, sorry. Can, you can reply. So, I think this is funny. I, you... <laughs> I'm just like... Oh, Take your time. Really um... Uh, Yes, tomorrow. On a call, these notifications are coming through on the recording. Anyway, right, sorry. Like, uh, I'm also particularly scatty because I just haven't left the house in a very long time due to quarantine. So I'm just kind of like, like any small slight thing is just... I really understand cats, like house cats now, actually, in the way that they just... There's like a piece of fluff and they're just like... Ah, 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 ah. Like, uh, uh, I mean, like, uh, to be honest, my, the grip, my grip on my attention span was just tenuous in the first You would just make such a good cat. Like, you would be, I, because I was thinking I would kind of like a cat. If I could have a cat, it would be you. Just like this really, <laughs> like, like, chaotic and, like, and full of personality. I'd love it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, yeah. And then, uh, occasionally pushing your things off the desk but doing it just but like just just enough to be like oh you do have agency you little bastard yeah that like but like not- when you like autographed me against my will let's not go into that story though. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> we're gonna be on like a two like two rocking chairs moving out of time telling that story one day and i can't <laughs> 
Um, no, so basically the thing is, is that actually in 2015, there was a piece of research done that proved that the mind and the body was connected. And what was this research? <laughs> well, no, wait, hang on a second. This is this, that before this research in 2015, it was not proved that the mind and body was connected in medical science. So through all of what? the 20th century, so there was actually a thing called the BBB, the, which is not not some new intense mode of bareback, but <laughs> rather the <laughs> the brain blood barrier, which was considered medical fact uh, all the way through the 20th century. And Judith Butler and numerous other people have written at great length about how the mind body divide is just sexist in which that men are the mind and women are the body and various other things. And so it's an example of how science is just still incredibly prejudiced in a in a way that appears completely rational and factual and um this piece of research was that the lymphatic system is in the brain which and the uh which previously wasn't thought possible because the lymphatic system to do with the immune system if you have an immune response in the brain and the brain swells it's like one of the only organs inside a bony case this would be like really really bad uh for your brain and so it was thought that you didn't have this but uh it does and so Basically, lymph fluid on the brain can cause various types of like neuroinflammation. And this is relevant for uh, Asperger's or autism. It's relevant for Alzheimer's. And also that the lymph system is a direct link between the brain and the gut. So it actually has huge implications for your gut health impacting on your mental health. Because it's, it's, it's connected by the vagus nerve, right? The vagus nerve is also, yeah, the vagus nerve is another th another part of this. I actually think, to be perfectly honest, over the 21st century that there's going to be, like, basically it was, there was the consideration that everything had been done with anatomy, that anatomy was just, it was just, you know, that we understood anatomy and that that was it. And even when I was studying biology in, like, high school and in college, like, um, I asked my tutors uh, multiple times about the lymph system and they were just like, oh, you don't really need to know about it. Like, the blood system's important and stuff. You don't need to understand this. And now... All this research that uh, that I've, I've done a bunch of research into this, that the lymph system is like super important, and it's also as well about our uh, the lymph system and our nervous system. And I think that the the understanding of our health in terms of our nervous system and the lymphatic system is going to be one of the main sites of development over the twenty first century. I like, feel like anatomy wise, like I'm just getting started. Like I just <laughs> I'm like done all this therapy. I'm recovering from my traumas, and like. I'm so embodied. I'm like, I'm actually really ready to discover anatomy. Like my own, that of others. I'm like, I feel present. Just like, <laughs> I got a question. Would you fuck me? You? Yeah. Well, obviously. I'd fuck me. Oh, I'd yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just really into discovering anatomy. <laughs> from fat ladies yeah uh, that's like oh my god i did a show which was inspired by this because this is a quote from buffalo bill uh where i talked about the new queer cinema and how important it was for me to have uh powerful trans feminine icons in uh in cinema in the 90s and then i did a lip sync which was about that and only one person ever came one person came up to me after that performance and said that was actually a really sad performance and i was like yeah <laughs> thanks thanks for noticing <laughs> I mean, what I love about Buffalo Bill is that it's a trans character who is presented as not a tra like, like the, the debate over their trans identity is just uh, is like neither here nor there because they're they're ultimately a, like a transphobic victim spectacle. But what's great actually is that um, 
what's fantastic is that they're you know they're somewhere under the trans umbrella or the the gender you know buffalo bill gender non-conforming trans woman (laughs) (laughs) what's quite nice is that rather than you know this this double deviance of not only are you a serial killer but you're also a transvestite yeah is that actually next to the supernatural evil of this cis man uh played by fc hopkins hannibal uh is actually is actually a far more relatable and kind of understandable vibe you know what i mean like his psychological <laughs> case is presented sort of you know within like there's this and there's that yeah you know seeing therapy doing these things went a bit off the rails and stuff but nowhere nearly as bad as this this hannibal this ineffable inescapable force of psychosis and cannibalism i'm not sure though because i think that like What's scary about Hannibal is that he's sophisticated and he's not just this like that like the Buffalo Bill functions as like a dehumanized monster because we always want to say that the person who does violence in society and also the person who does violence to women is a monster. He's an exception. He's not just like a very regular like specimen of men. Um, because like the monster functions to uh, like excuse uh, the everyday men who are the main perpetrators uh, of violence towards people in their families and uh, and so on um, and people that are close to them. Um, so like uh, like Buffalo Bill fun- functions as this monster, but then they even shunt. I'm going through a misandrist phase. I'm sure you and the hearers know this. Uh, oh, uh, no, I really hate men at the moment. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. You know, I, I, but I, I feel uh, like here they're like, they're, they're saying, uh, like, it's not men who do violence. Well, it both is and isn't men who do violence because it is uh, freaky men, like, yeah. uh, and in the mind of the transphobe, like, like, like freaky men who is imagined as some sort of like approximation of like a murderous trans woman or transvestite um, who do the violence or even more horrifying, a sophisticated man. And everyone goes, oh, but how could a man who has read books hurt people? <laughs> <laughs> no, totally right. Yeah. And then I think the thing is, is that Hannibal is so such a, such a well-written and well-performed and genuinely scary and interesting film of like moral ambiguity that like Buffalo Bill's case as well is like quite quaint in comparison. <laughs> like, ah, you just, you know, you were the narrative tension, you know, because it's also, I think often we think it's sort of like, um, you know how people watch um, Mommy Dearest and then they uh, forget that, like, it's the amount of queer people who watch Mommy Dearest and forget that that is um, played by Faye Dunaway. Uh, wait, oh, fuck, what was her name? The, the evil bitch who abused her children. I don't know. I've Who is the subject s- of Mommy Dearest? Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. The one that, like, she had a fight with Bette Midler. Not Bette Midler. Oh, God, wait. Hang on, it's Betty Davis. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting his really, oh, my God. Betty Davis and... Uh, I'm going to have my gay license revoked. I don't know. I've never yeah. watched the film. But people forget they're not supposed to be rooting for her, right? It's about her abusing no, her children. That she's not actually her. And also part of it's like, wait, this is so... Like, literally, wait, two seconds. Right, we're both sat on computers with Google. So, Mommy... Dearest, God, this is this is the, this is why we need more queer elders or voices of queer elders. It's um oh Joan Crawford. Joan Crawford. Sake. Yeah. Like I'm just blaming the quarantine for that one. Like I have the mental veracity or clarity or fecacity of soup right now. Um, so yeah, Joan Crawford. So people like watch the movie Mommy Dearest about Joan Crawford, play where Faye Dunaway plays Joan Crawford, and then people just believe that Faye Dunaway is 
Joan Crawford. And I've actually, there's, I've had two or three different conversations with people. And I'm just like, and they're like, no, that is Joan Crawford. And I'm like, she dies at the end. And they're like, oh, oh yeah. Like you see her in a coffin. Like, um, but I think it's because it's such a camp mouse to me. So I think in the same way as that people forget that like, uh, Faye Dunham, you know, that that's this thing, is that actually that the FBI case that the Hannibal movie is about is about Buffalo Bill. Because yeah. Hannibal becomes a thing. So it's like, actually, it's this, it's also, or like in A Midsummer's Night Dream, there's like a, it's that move, that, that play is about a play that's happening in the King's Court. Yeah. But then the play sort of happens around it. Yeah. Kind of thing. And so they forget that. So it's, yeah, just like, well, it's, oh, oh, it's oh, also... oh, oh, wait. And also, you know, the, um, you know, the viral TikTok star who's like doing the, um, the, the dreams thing that everyone loves? No. What? I'm 33. Yeah. And you just disabled your Facebook feed. Yeah, yeah. Is it, is it in Facebook or is it TikTok? I don't no, know. No, it's TikTok and it's Instagram. Oh my God, well, the, the dear listeners, you, you'll be with me. So basically there's this viral star who's like, he's like skateboarding and drinking like a big bottle of juice like down this hill to like Fleetwood Mac's dreams and like Fleetwood Mac have like entered the charts again because of this. And like people are like losing their nuts over him and like uh, Ocean Spray like gave him a new van filled with juice and like... Uh, and he's like an indigenous person who's been like, he's really cool, he's really cool. But also, uh, he's done another TikTok where he's doing, where he's acting out the Buffalo Bill dance. And he's like, would you fuck me? I'd fuck me. I'd fuck me so hard. It's also on his TikTok. And everyone's just glossed over this. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Thank I you. will send you both of them so you can see them. Maybe, maybe, because I think also... Buffalo Bill is a really interesting study of what uh, transphobes and TERFs and, and, and like and conservative transphobes, uh, like not that TERFs aren't conservative, but like um, they see themselves as not being on the, uh, the Christian right. Um, Buffalo Bill is a really interesting study of like what these people think uh, trans people are. Um, mm. But it's like it would only be possible to inhabit womanhood through murdering the usual subjects that occupy this space. Like one must literally wear the skin, like hollow out a person and wear their skin in order to exist as a woman. Like one can only ever transition through like extreme and radical violence. Um, and it's like, um, babe, it's called lipstick. There are so many different things that you can use to like transgress a gender boundary, uh, by, uh, transgress a boundary between genders than rather than hollowing out a person and wearing their skin. Although... I know, like, person wants to be a woman. (laughs) (laughs) I want to be successful. So I'm going to print out, I'm going to get a load of, like, pound coins and cover myself in super glue and roll in them. (laughs) (laughs) Just like, hmm, it's like, ooh, I, like, no, it's so... I think that's the other thing about Buffalo Bill that makes him, like, a fun person to identify with because it's so unnecessarily ghoulish and yeah. silly yeah. that it's like supposed to be like, because also Mommy Dearest was like something that was um was supposed to be a really serious film. And then they basically did really badly at the box office and they, they had to rebrand it as a comedy to try and get, <laughs> because they felt Faye Dunaway's, but that's also why it's like such a camp classic because it's almost like a performance of a, it's, there's so many layers of performance on it. Um, and uh yeah i think that there's something i think that there's and also that i think that the point is is that because han uh, you know what because of the movie is called han i think also because the movie is literally called hannibal 
we're supposed we you basically they're like talking about buffalo bill and it's like the fbi and there's so much of this stuff that's about the american spectacle is that you intrinsically can't take buffalo bill seriously because the movie's not called like buffalo bill featuring you know it's not buffalo bill featuring hannibal it's not even like the movie's not even called like killers or something like that it's called hannibal so you're like okay there's this but where's hannibal and then hannibal turns up and is so genuinely more terrifying than this sort of like random guy who is like featured with pop music who's you know what I, like it's so that then that to be camp is to be serious about the frivolous and frivolous about the serious ah. and so yeah and so the thing is is that the movie fundamentally trivializes the criminal case of F- buffalo bill for the dramatic thematic tension of introducing hannibal Mm. as well so you don't really i think i'm sure the book is far more chilling and a bit more uh intense and stuff like that and um but yeah so i think that there's something there's something and then also that um the other thing is that the song goodbye horses is a complete one-hit wonder and the person who sung it basically never has released one other song and then he's like in some movie and that's it they didn't do anything else so it's complete so the thing is right is that nobody knew this song as well it was a really really obscure one-hit wonder disco hit and is that in the film? I don't remember. That's the one that Buffalo Bill dances to. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's how everyone got to know Goodbye Horses. So no one knew it before. So it's also that this is, that there's this like, that this, that's like the official music video for Goodbye Horses. Huh. Wow. Yeah. So oh, I think I know. I think I, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's, there's multiple layers of campy identification. But speaking of transphobic representations, of uh, of uh, the transphobic transphobic uh, literary works. Do you want to start a reading circle for J.K. Rowling's new book? Oh my god, I absolutely don't. <laughs> but not... literally, J.K. Rowling is like re- is writing the Hannibal with no Hannibal. Yeah. J.K. Rowling is just doing is is doing Buffalo Bill. Wow, amazing. That's their new book. Their yeah, new yeah. book is something about like a uh, uh, a trans a trans killer who kills women. And yeah, uh, uses their blood as lipstick. Really? Uses their blood as lipstick? I don't know. I'm making that part up, but probably. I mean, like... I love that idea. Not like, like, like just the idea of blood as lipstick, not like using women's blood as lipstick. Um, anyway. <laughs> I, I mean, I actually... yeah, also as well, like, you know, I mean, there's just like, uh, I, I don't think it's completely unnecessary to like use like a specific gender's blood as lipstick i would just want to use someone who is hot for their blood <laughs> okay you know i i uh, another thing that i've been doing uh part of catching up uh is i, I wrote a book chapter that's going to be published mm. um and it's called a case for the abolition of men um, <laughs> wait you wrote this or you read this i wrote it you wrote it okay, okay yeah okay. <laughs> i wrote it okay. <laughs> um and in this uh i was trying to find out a, a, like a way to sort of like like justify my misandry um yeah. and because it's not really like uh it's not uh, a sustainably justifiable um position to hate men uh because not because uh like the men uh, in like that i encounter or in my life are like everyone deserves a chance or whatever it's like absolutely not i'd have them struck down immediately if i could um but um to universalize that experience like erases things like uh class and race um sexuality etc although i did devote a chapter to how much i hate gay men <laughs> 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 but uh, 
think they gave me a hate game. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And um, and it was, and it, and it is funny at least. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, so totally. I, where are you going? <laughs> I'm going to fetch chocolate because I'm at home. Like this is like the luxury of the. I'm sorry, you wait. Uh, oh God, yeah, I am actually. I'm sorry. You know, I just feel so casual with you, Olympia. Yeah, I forget that I'm actually like uh, you're recording, recording a podcast. <laughs> Oh my god. Um, but uh, so I like part of the way that I resolved this tension is that I redefined what a man is. Um, and so um, I said that a man is any person who's consistently unable to have a problem without making it the much bigger problem of another person or group of people. Um, mm. And so uh, then, uh, so uh, like I, I describe. Um, some like women's suffrage because uh, I, I was working with, uh, with some uh, this text by Angela Davis um, and describing how le- leaders of the women's suffrage movement in the US because they were willing to sacrifice um, like black interests and working class interests in, in the way that they went about this I said that they were men in this regard um, but and then uh, I go on to describe um, how uh, like uh, J.K. Rowling describes um this epidemic of uh, of men dressing up as women uh, to cause violence and like you know how this is not backed up by statistics and that's why she never cites anything and so interestingly the only person who is a man dressing up as a woman to cause violence is that perpetrated by the author himself <laughs> and this is the new strategy we have to start misgendering turfs we have to start okay, like because like if they're going to do that to us, we need to start misgendering turfs. So all of these cis uh, cis turfs, they're just men to me now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then and then if they ever complain, it's like it's not very nice, is it, JK? Is it JK? Just, I mean, the fact that they have this person's name is jokes. Is just, uh, <laughs> JK Rowling, like JK Roffle, like. <laughs> J.K. Rowling. Oh my god, she's like, such a dick. Oh my god. Yeah, she's really, really dick. It's also like really doubling down, and then also it's just like I mean, to be honest, like we should have known from the second that it was. I mean, the 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 it was there the second that it was like Dumbledore's gay, only he's not gay in the books. Yeah, yeah, because because t- turfs all like pretend love gay people. Like, yeah, can we t- also just point out as well that Dumbledore died? Yeah. Yeah, and that like, Dumbledore dies in the books, so like gay death is more acceptable than gay life. That's what this is saying. But this is also like it was like there were books. It, this was early. Wow, the J.K. Rowling. Wait, two seconds. J.K. Rowling managed to feature gay death in her book without ever once, once featuring any gay characters. Yeah, but this is a common trope. This was a common trope of uh, things uh, like. Uh, for queer characters, and also it goes for trans characters as well, in the 20th century, it's excusable and censors would allow uh, you to include uh, like a gay or trans character in a book, uh, but that character would have to die. This is like a, this is a common thing. Like, this is like Boys Don't Cry, you know? Like, um, mm. this film in the 90s. Uh, and it's like, I've read a book from the 40s, I think, uh, that included a gay character, but the gay character that was about a gay character but he dies so it was allowed like so jk rowling putting in a gay character in her book um and not including anything about that character's gayness letting that character die is actually more conservative and less progressive than novels from the beginning of the 20th century oh my god this is also you know as well that um her her she has a a masculine pen name yeah robert galbraith or something right yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he uh, advocated uh, gay conversion therapy. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yep. He also was. I think he also did like uh, gay conversion therapy, and also the same people who did gay conversion therapy also did um, ABA, which is a form of autistic behavioral uh, adjustment that is still used now and considered child abuse by many activists. Wow. That's because, not so yeah. surprising. It's both attempts to erase difference, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's also because of these, I actually watched some videos of them, they're so stressful. And it's also that, like, where, like, people's gestures are physically controlled. Like, we very, Oof. very, very young children. But then what's even worse is that these young children spend 32 hours in school each week. And then also have to spend 40 hours in therapy in addition to the 32 hours they spend in school. Fuck. It's really, yeah, so they're basically, there's a big movement now by activists literally just saying that in the same sense as there's controls on the working week, there should be controls on the amount of time a child should have to spend in therapy in school. Fuck. America's completely fucked, because also we mentioned this in the spirit of catching up as well, trying to keep up with American politics in any way, shape or form. Like, did you watch any of the things about this new Supreme Justice who's being sworn in? I, like justice I, mean, I because my show was on the weekend i haven't followed it as closely they have three years of experience which is not enough to be on the supreme court they wrote an article about uh shredding how basically about how obamacare should be just shredded and chucked out this is us providing health care for millions of americans and then they basically wrote this and then they got the nomination yeah kind of thing like they're basically they're a puppet judge it's also the um that the Supreme Court, once you, a president, like the fact that President Trump will have been a president who's chosen two justices for the Supreme Court is like, it's super rare because these are appointments come along very rarely because the person has to die and the person dies of old age. So it takes a really long time. And then um, for him to put in two, it's like also as well, like I think justice, uh, yeah, and it's just, it's when you look at it like this person wouldn't even commit to how like they just wouldn't commit to anything they're just it's really ridiculous and like they were asked uh do you think they said to the extent where they didn't consider someone dropping like the n-bomb in the workplace something that would create that workplace as a hostile environment it's it's, it's insane it's like completely insane i think to be honest that basically is that if obamacare um gets pulled back now there's like uh, a lot of people being treated for corona or covered because of corona because of this right now and it will just be removed all of a sudden but i just think that like uh part of me is i, I really a part of me is a little bit accelerationist about this where it seems to be happening anyway and um, so maybe it just needs to happen it just needs to collapse so that then basically the uh california and new york like team up and just set fire to like the central part of america and kill them all <laughs> That's that's your roadmap to recovery. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was thinking um, there's, uh, I was reading in uh, the German version of Jacobin because I have a subscription because I like, it's like I was uh, getting, um, I wanted to get a subscription to the English language one, but it was going to be so much more expensive. So I got the German one and every time I'm reading it in German, I'm like, wow, it's taking so much more effort. <laughs> But um, uh, there's, uh, there's an interview with this guy talking about eco-Leninism um, mm-hmm. and about how, like, Lenin uh, took the crisis of uh, the First World War and tr- tried to turn it into a crisis for uh, the preconditions 
of the First mm. World War. So, like, you take the crisis and you try and make that a crisis for the people who caused that crisis rather than the people who are suffering it. And so, uh, yes. like, ending the First World War um, and trying to spread, like, uh, like trying to spread the, like a global revolution. Um, mm. And uh, he was saying that this is increasingly what we need to do with. Uh, with the climate crisis, we need to turn this into a climate for uh, into a crisis for uh, those uh, those uh, big interests who, who pollute yeah. uh, and who who make profit from that. So we need to make this a profit, uh, like a crisis for uh, the the ruling class that is destroying the planet. Um, and I think that's mm. that's like you could also apply this to this um, uh, to this uh, current crisis as well, like this this healthcare crisis, uh, like in the US, uh, this, um, what is the word? Like it's a health crisis? Yeah, it's a health crisis uh, in the world. And in, US, in the US, like the ideal situation would be to turn this into a crisis for those who could have created the conditions um, for this. And it's, it's like, there is like, there is a left in the US now. Like there wasn't there a few years there ago. There is a left, yeah. It's also so this is it. It's also that basically, well, to be honest, I feel like um, I was watching uh, I was watching an analysis of a particular phenomena of the nineties, which is called the cubicle movie. Cubicle. The cubicle movie, yeah. yeah. So there's like of like there's like twelve major. Oh my god! I just realised that the word cubicle has the word cube in it. <laughs> That's literally what it is. It's just a cube. Is this a cube? Yeah. Fuck. A cube. Cubicle. Yeah. 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 Whoa. <laughs> Sorry, go on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's, there's so a joke about thinking outside of the box here, but I'm just too lazy to make it. During quarantine, um, babe, it's fine. Yeah, I know. I'm, it's almost like I'm in the box. Yeah, well, it's like when you're in quarantine, it's hard to think laterally or, as it were, <laughs> outside the box. <laughs> <Don't know>. like, <laughs> okay so it basically is that um but there's there's numerous movies that feature the very distinctive image of people in a cubicle like uh so for example like um cube cube yeah <laughs> that, that film the cube that film is oh, so scary what was that i've not seen the film the cube it's like a horror film where people wake up inside a cube which is like this like torture um uh like a torture chamber and like people keep dying and it features like a very, um, <laughs> let's say not very progressive uh, depiction of an autistic savant um, who like, who can do like really complex mathematical equations. <laughs> I, I mean, um, what's also really funny about this is there's also a TV show in the UK called The Cube presented by Philip Schofield that also looks equally nightmarish. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I know. I mean, like, to be honest, I mean, like, look, I am the most uh, positive depiction of uh, an autistic savant out there, and I'm a dire warning. So, um... (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh, oh God, like, yeah, I know. These things don't exist in popular culture. You have to put this on your merch. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we like a mind ruined yet continues to persist moving <laughs> forward like um so the thing about uh, the cubicle movie is that then so for example there's um there's there's two really good examples of of this which is uh fight club and american beauty they're both cubicle movies right because they're basically about the, and the vast majority of cubicle movies come from 
or the vast majority, and there's lots of these cubicle movies, and they come from somewhere. It's not that life is dangerous; it's that life is monotonous because it's basically an uh, it's representative of the, the political stability of the 90s, yeah. which was an unusually politically stable time because of the fall of the Berlin. It's the time between the fall of the Berlin Wall and the fall of the Twin Towers. Yeah. And so what happens within this is that actually protagonists, um, the protagonists, it's not the protagonists of the dangerous life that they're responding to, it's that they live a monotonous life and they're trying to then destabilize this. Or there's uh, the destabilization comes from from people's innately unstable, un unstable natures as, as it's depicted. And um, it also says as well that specifically it looks at minorities uh, as well, uh, any film that looks at minorities, like, there's like cis straight men, um, obvious cis straight white men are just like uh, doing these things. But then, for example, it references Boys Don't Cry. And it says that, you know, if you look at any movie about minorities, then it's it's immediately a, a very unhappy thing as well. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. actually, there's lots of other moments where it is really violent and stuff. So that then, um, and that basically as well is that a lot of like, what the left is comes from being passed down through struggle and through moments and basically by having this decade of uh complete political like stability as it were where there was a collapse of the global left and then also as well then from there only only neoliberal uh right or center right solutions being fielded to huge uh financial economic military uh, crises and also the normalization of crisis we live in a time where shock and boredom exist simultaneously yeah. by doing that for like 20 years it completely like all the, all the leftists who were like 20 in like 1989 are now like 40 and then basically all the ones that were 40 and like seasons activists and stuff like that now are 60 like they're like too old they don't do these things so actually there's a new spontaneous left that has emerged within the 21st century in america now in this process and it's been and it's also because that then we have uh, level of violence has returned to politics which we're not actually used to like you know in the 80s that there was there was like the cold war and all these like incredibly incredibly violent things and like a level of homophobia that was just ridiculous and we've been far more stable since then so it's but now this there's this we this conflict has come back basically but you know i think this is interesting when we consider this in relation to uh race though because mm -hmm. people angela davis came out um as the black lives matter uh, like movement was really re like uh uh reignited um uh over the summer and she was saying that like a lot of people calling to defund the police that this had come out of nowhere whereas like mm. it's like <clears throat> there certainly hasn't been a lot of mass mobilization uh in the left like since mm. since we were born like it's been like it ha had been at a historically low ebb but it's also true that a lot of people and like in relation to the, the black lives matter demands this was the, the work of um uh like black feminists such as angela mm. davis who were uh really working on these ideas and trying to proliferate proliferate these ideas as well so like when there is a spont like a, a spontaneous like um reignition uh, yeah. of, of the left then um it also it needs it's like it needs that spark as well and so like the really important work that people have been doing over that time like is the thing that really needs uh needs to have been present uh, but what's been really interesting about the last couple of years is that we find out uh, like because especially the queer left has become this very obscure very academic like um like uh like gradually separated more and more from like i think it's beginnings in like uh uh 
like queer nation and like uh, AIDS activism and stuff like that to become this really like um, like uh, like Byzantine sort of like you know it's like the monks in the Middle Ages like mm. <laughs> transcribing transcribing the ancient Greek um, texts in the Dark Ages uh, like yeah. hoping that one day there will come another time when they can, <laughs> when they can, there will be safety beyond the like the convent walls or something but um, oh god yeah. but like I think it's interesting and important that like uh, and also for uh, Black Americans like the, this violence or stability like was I'm. I'm sure just never actually that was never really extended to like the no, the, like no, the, also, I, I was just researching basically I think that the term that Angela Davis actually came, I thought recently that the t- Angela Davis came up with the term prison industrial complex yeah. in 1990 yeah I actually think that which is incredibly recent and then also as well like there's a huge ideological campaign basically which is that there's actually loads of color photos of the civil rights movement but they always use black and white photos because it it creates this old tiny sense of like ah you know it was back then and somehow still like um and there's plenty of color photos and also if you look basically at america there's never there's never been a moment where there's due to mass incarceration like someone in, in someone in 1992 i'm just looking here said um literally just made the case for um William Barr, the then United States Attorney General, authored a report, the case for more incarceration. And this idea of like uh, incarceration is um, is there. And the, um, the, yeah, I you know, I think that there's certain things as well though. Like I've got a very big project about uh, leftist politics coming out soon, which is exciting. And I've mentioned uh, before, we can we don't need to talk about it on the podcast necessarily, but it's just sort of like, with these ideas, I was looking at something recently, that was a really interesting scientific video about the research into fivefold symmetry. Um, Go on. Okay, so basically, like this guy called Kepler, who was like in the 1160 or something like that, some really old time, basically. There's he thought that the planets were separated by platonic solids or something, and there's certain platonic solids that have certain shapes and da 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 da. And what there is is there's certain forms of symmetry, and if they can span the plane, it means these symmetries can go on forever. Mm-hmm. And so it was thought that only certain shapes could do it, like say triangles or squares or these sorts of things and it also hexagons and that uh, the pentagon couldn't do it though like a five a, a five-sided shape couldn't span the plane so it couldn't go on forever so i was just some weird video about patterns on youtube and then so then this basically this guy called kepler was researching it and then again in the 60s by someone who had obviously dropped acid whilst at college studying science was looking into like different patterns and things and found a way to create irregular shapes two different irregular shapes that could create five-folded shapes that could span the plane and that they could basically create a pattern that could go on to infinity without ever actually repeating and then the, also what that entailed as well is that any pattern that you, it's the idea as well from that any pattern that you did make with them rather than being an individual pattern would be some fragment of this whole pattern of this thing anyway that was like in the 60s and 70s and then they went with it more and stuff like that and then they did this they worked more on this idea of fivefold symmetry and then what happened is they eventually put it in with computer technology they put it into a 3d a 3d graphics generator and they grew it in 3d and then they found this whole new way of doing it and so from this research into this and then they looked at this guy's research 
into this fivefold stuff that didn't really work out. And if you apply it to the three-dimensional version of this, it completely works out. And then they use this now to grow new crystals, which they use basically in making uh, cooking pans. <laughs> which is completely insane. It's like, and they're using it to like make space materials and all this shit. So it's like some guy researching fivefold symmetry patterns from the sixties onwards was used eventually with different forms of information to create a whole new substance that has all these different industrial applications and, and like all these things and like is changing the very material aspects of our lives, despite the fact that it has been wafting around the halls of academia for 20 or 30 years in the same way actually as well as like uh like i think bell hooks and william cornell have been like hosting consistently huge conferences on um mm -hmm. black politics and the needs for black liberation and stuff like that as well which yeah. has also fed a hugely into uh all the politics that is happening now that again seems to have come from nowhere it's yeah. actually that there's an active erasure towards these things mm -hmm. so Hopefully, but I do wish that um, queer leftist politics would, um, uh, yeah, just like, get, I don't know, get out of the sheets and into the streets. Ooh. Yeah, Zizek refers to uh, like the like queer theory as fiddling with ourselves while Rome burns. <laughs> I, I love it. It's so good. But it's like, well, what else are you going to do, babe? <laughs> But I think, I think like I think there's been a lot of like progress. Like there is actually um, uh, some really cool uh, people working with queer feminist theory, and it, like it has and it has become a little bit more uh, movement oriented in the last ten years. Um, but yeah, there's definitely there's room to room to expand. Yeah, there's a really uh, I want to get a sofa for my room that's like this really like groovy, ridiculous, like asymmetrical, like postmodern like leather sofa which uh is uh like it's on ebay clients i get and um and it's like it's this really ridiculous like postmodern furniture and they're like oh it's well they say it's well preserved and it's uh 30 years old and i turn 30 in a month and that's the same age as me in gender trouble so i want to get my groovy postmodern <laughs> sofa and i want to lie on it with my gender non-conforming body and read my groovy postmodern gender non-conforming theory <laughs> 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 it's like a complete moment of aesthetic like uh, uh it's also so like i feel as well that it's just i'm i really feel very i really hate postmodernism because i mostly because i hate modernism because it's like i don't feel like because modern means contemporary time and so you can't really have something that is post the contemporary time when you're within the contemporary time. Yeah. And I feel that modernity, the modernity movement was happening at the same time as the, uh, de like the de uh, decolonization was. And I really feel like it's just the intellectuals of Europe responding to the decolonization of spatiality by colonizing temporality. It's like by colonizing time, it was a way of sustaining the intellectual project of Europe, even as, or of empire, even as the physical territory crumbled. Well, the physical, we post the physical territory crumbled uh, or like uh, with postmodernism, right? So actually the expansion of, uh, like the expansion of colonialism into Africa was yeah. contemporaneous with modernism. 
Ah, okay then. So yeah, no, but wait, hang on a second. But no, modernism is like, it, it, it depends on what time you call modernism as well. Because if you call it like the time of like the fifties or something, there was these things. Whereas postmodernism is more an eighties, sort of in the eighties and stuff like that. But anyway, nevertheless, the point is, is that postmodern thought is now dated, and so that there's post postmodernism, and then there's hypermodernity, and I just want to be post all of it in a time I like to refer to as now. <laughs> I'm just a communist. it's like when people are like oh yeah postmodern theories it's like cool like will they bring about justice (laughs) yeah like i've got a pretty i've got a handy blue tip for a guillotine right here yeah right yeah like i'm over bike drops and i want blade drops yeah like we're like this like really intense focus on form above function it's like i don't care what the guillotine looks like as long as it chops off the head of the bourgeoisie yeah, Jeff Bezos. Although I re- I'm really into concrete. I think a brutalist guillotine would be really gorge. Yeah, with like a copper blade. Oh. <laughs> yes. Um, I would say, you know, like, and then but wait, you know the colour of that jumpsuit in your show that I saw the rehearsal of? Yeah. Um, Like that, like that colour for the rope. Oh. Like mustard. What would you call that color? Yeah, I was thinking actually like a like a like a gray sort of steel because then you've got the gray of the concrete and then the gray of the steel and then the copper of the blade. And so then because the, the colors are similar, then like you yeah. would focus more on the like the like the the, the qualities of each material. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like this is how I do with my clothes. Like I wear yeah. all black and I like to wear different textures and stuff because then it's like you f- like they they feel different. Yeah. All the nuance. The nuance. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, I, I, I don't like all this form stuff. I'm a communist. All bit my fashions. It, my, yeah, my fashions are certainly queer theory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, this actually brings us, like, we're, we're at the end. Would you say that we have successfully caught up? I think we've successfully caught up and I think that there's, but I think there's, uh, there's ample more space in our nets yeah. uh, uh, for, for numerous other deep sea creatures of thought. Oh yeah. Like we're, yeah. Like slurry is definitely like a deep sea trawler when it comes to, uh, it comes to topics. So we will be, uh, yeah. we will be, what is the word? Like dredging, like the Mariana <laughs> trench, uh, uh, in this new season, let's call it a season of slurry. There's plenty more where this came from. It was a pleasure to do this again with you, Uz and Gloop. It was really wonderful to do it with you as well, Olympia. I do love you. I love you too. Thank you. And you know what? We both love you, dear listeners. We love you very much. And Yeah, although the, I do have a rather uh, negative history recently of, of telling people I love them and then them not being around anymore. So I feel I feel greatly connected to you, dear listener, and I'm looking forward to, to establishing our relationship. Don't leave me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't leave us. Uh, Sorry, <laughs> bye, Gloop. Bye, listeners. Okay, bye.